As the kids are dismissed, uh, you can open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, Bibles or phone apps, and uh, be looking at the first six verses in Colossians. And this Father's Day, and um, some dads may not be here, they might be on the golf course, which reminded me of a friend of mine who always took an extra pair of socks when he went golfing, and I asked, why'd you do that? He said, you never know when you get a hole in one. That's a dad joke. Speaking of dad jokes, what's the difference between a dad joke and a bad joke? The first letter, that's it. B or D, right? Hey, have you ever tried to run ahead of God because you really wanted to serve him or you wanted to rectify something or, or make a difference? Tried to run ahead from God, but you just hit a closed door, it seems. Like, oh, man, that's frustrating. What's going on? Well, God certainly wants to lead us through open doors of his planning and his provision. And uh, the Apostle Paul deals with how we can experience God's open doors in Colossians 4. And so let's read along together, starting verse 2. Uh, <clears throat> Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. The Apostle Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And so I think we ought to pray really quickly one more time. Uh, Lord, so we commit this um, message to you as we devote ourselves uh, to prayerfully considering what you'd have us uh, learn from your spirit today. Uh, speak through me and speak to each one of our hearts, Lord, that we, we may be encouraged today in your presence. Amen. Um, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. So if we want to experience open doors, we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to be diligent. We need to be earnest. Why? Well, there's a story told about uh, a guy who was visiting Moscow, the Kremlin, for the first time. And, and so one of the leaders of the Kremlin said, hey, I want to take you by the zoo. And so they, he, went, he took, took him to the Moscow Zoo for the first time. And the man was stunned to see that there was this one display where there was a bear and a lamb in the same cage. And he thought, how, how does that happen? And so the leader of the Kremlin, he said, well, um, this display is called peaceful coexistence. This peaceful coexistence is one of the many blessings for living in a communist society as we do. And of course, we have to put a fresh lamb in the cage every morning. There's no such thing as peaceful coexistence when you're dealing with the enemy. And our enemy is the devil. So we need to be involved in praying diligently. And we need to be devoted in our prayer lives. Because we have an enemy in the unseen realms. We need to be forewarned. And speaking of warning, here's another dad, dad joke. There's an email going around offering processed pork, gelatin, and salt that comes in a can. If you get this email, do not open it. It is spam. Ah, got it? That's a dad joke. Hey, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul writes in Ephesians. Samuel Chadwick 
pastor wrote, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Apostle Paul said, hey, I got this partner in ministry here. In chapter 3, he wrote, Epaphras, who is one of you from Colossae, and he's a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. He's always storming the gates of heaven with his prayers. Can you have that picture of your prayers storming the gates of heaven? Just persistently asking on behalf of others, Lord, remember this person, remember that situation, storming the gates. Be devoted in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Secondly, we need to be watchful in prayer, which means to be intentional, to be expectant in our prayer life. Psalm 5, David writes, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you, and I wait expectantly. I anticipate that you're going to answer. You're going to hear my prayers. We have a healthy and active church for many reasons, but one of the primary reasons is because we have an active and vibrant prayer ministry. Every Wednesday morning, 9.30 uh, to 10.30, or 9.15 to 10.30, we meet and we pray together, and there's at least 10 or 11 who are devoted to praying on behalf of all of our prayer concerns, the ones that you cite on your cards uh, and hand in, we pray for. We cover all the needs of this church in prayer. And God has answered prayers consistently for years. And that's the furnace room of the church. That's why all the ministries are succeeding, because they're covered in prayer. Watchman Nee wrote, Our prayers lay the track down on which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, God's power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without the rails. As you go to God in prayer, picture, that, picture a railroad track. Um, picture that every time you pray, the uh, rails are coming close into your situation and the power is coming. But without prayer, it stops short. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. It's necessary to be thankful, otherwise we're like a little kid who just, gimme, 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 gimme in our prayer life. Um, we want to be grateful in prayer. It's been said that there are three types of givers, the flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. To get anything out of a flint, you must hammer it, but you only get chips and sparks. To get anything out of a sponge, you've got to squeeze the life of it, out of it. The more pressure you use, the more you get. But the honeycomb just naturally overflows with sweetness. That's what Thanksgiving is. When we have thankful hearts, we understand all that God has done for us. And we offer him praise and thanksgiving. And he receives our praises like this. And then it makes us grateful people as well. When we're thankful for others rather than complaining and argumentative, we're grateful because we have the love of God flowing through us. Our prayers must include thanksgiving. Oswald Chambers writes, every time we pray, our horizon is altered. Our attitude to things is altered. Not sometimes, but every time. And the amazing thing is, we don't pray more. Every time we pray with thanksgiving, our attitude is adjusted, and we have God's perspective. 
every time. Our prayers don't hit the ceiling. They alter who we are and how we see things. Prayer is an open door. It's vital to open doors for opportunities. That's why Paul writes, remember, pray for us too. Paul understood that his ministry could only be effective when it was when he was being prayed for, when it was covered in prayer. Um, I've often heard people say, man, I'm sorry I can't help you. I guess I can only pray for you. You can only pray. That's the, that's the best thing you can do. You know, it's like saying, the only thing I have is an intercontinental ballistic missile. Sorry, I can't help you, you know. It, prayer is powerful. Why does God command us to pray, though, if he's capable of taking care of things on his own? Why doesn't he just do it? Why does he... Why is it contingent upon our prayers? It's because God, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, God is training us to co-reign with him for eternity. We are in partnership with God, and that's his intention. And we see this in Colossians 3 when he said, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. We have been raised with Christ, our spirit has been somehow raised with Christ, seated with him in a position of authority so that we can use his authority on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are kind of in partnership with God. He has all the power, but he is elected to utilize us as the body of Christ. He is the head, we are the body. Um, when and, and therefore, we carry out God's work on earth as the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. Sort of like a couple of days ago when I wanted to put this log rack together that I purchased at Tractor Supply. It looked kind of intimidating. And um, as I was just sitting in the living room, probably watching sports or something, I thought, I should put that log rack together. That's what my head said. My body said, eh, I don't feel like it. So they weren't working together. But then when my body said, I should really obey my head, I went out to the garage, I put it together, put it in the backyard, stacked logs on it, complete. The body and head works together. And that's how our head, Jesus Christ, chooses to operate, through the body of Christ. Or praying is like a safety deposit box in a bank vault. The banker has the key and the owner has the key. Neither key alone can open the box, but... When you give the banker the key and he inserts it or she inserts it and then you insert your key, then it will open wide open and, and you can retrieve the treasure inside the box. Well, God holds one key and it's the key where decisions are made. We hold the other key which participates with him in how it's implemented both together. God chooses to use prayer because we're going to co-reign with him for eternity and we're in training. Uh, for what did Paul, the apostle, request in prayer? Well, I, I thought of, as I read his prayer, I thought of a guy from Latin America who we were in seminary together, Lynn and I were, and, and during a seminary talent night, um, I mean testimony night, you know, people were, one at a time, we'd come up and do our stupid things or serious things or whatever. Um, and this guy said, you know, I, I served some years in prison for my faith in this closed country and the Lord delivered me uh, but um, I just want to share with you a song that I wrote in prison and so he took the guitar um, and he sat down and the lights were dim and he played this beautiful, beautiful uh, melody 
on the guitar. It was like a classical, um, just very pretty, pretty thing. And it went on pretty long, two minute introduction to a song. And then he finally leaned into the mic and he, he began to sing, get me out of here. And that was the end of his song right there. Sometimes we feel like we're imprisoned in our circumstances and situations. Uh, Paul certainly was in prison because he was writing a prison epistle. He was sitting in jail in Rome when he wrote that, those letters to Colossae and Philippi. Yet Paul, he did not request, pray for us too that God would open the door of this prison cell. That's what I would have prayed. What did he say? He said, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul's priority amazes me. He didn't care if he was in prison or free. He said, I just want the message to go out, the gospel, even if it meant me remaining in prison. It's strange that Paul was asking for prayer for the very thing that got him arrested to begin with. My question is, how does God use a trial in your life or in my life to glorify his name, to convey his message of hope? Well, we all know the vetters. Um, Chuck was up here playing the guitar a moment ago, and this is what happened, as you know, uh, to their back part of their home uh, off of Main Street, and uh, the wall collapsed some weeks ago. But the first thing that was noticed by everyone who looked at the wall, um, this picture was snapped just moments later, was that beam that fell in, a, in the shape of a cross. Sort of like 9-11, you know, in that tragedy. There was a cross indicating to the vetters, hey, I'm God, I'm your God, I'm in control. This is inconvenient, this is frustrating, this is discouraging. I know, but I am still in this. Very significant. Um, and, and the veterans have maintained a really positive attitude, an incredible witness, despite all their great loss. Continue to pray for the veterans as they are uh, trying to get back in their home and having to transition and in retirement as well. I know uh, Chuck is going to uh, sell all the pianos in his store. So you can either pray for him this next week, or them, or you could buy one of the pianos at the piano sale, which would be at, San, um, at Central Christian from Thursday to Sunday, from one to seven. So if, you, if you're looking to buy another piano for maybe a spare bedroom, then you go down there and check that out. Uh, Paul the Apostle, though, he goes on in Colossians chapter three, he said, so that they may, or verse three, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. What is this mystery? This mystery. Speaking of mystery, um, the Kaufman kids told me a riddle this last week. It was the best riddle I've heard. Are you here today, Kaufmans? They're in the first service. Um, and so I, I think it was Jet who told me, hey, there are 20 guys in a boat. And he said, the boat sank in the middle of the lake or wherever, and, uh, and 24 heads popped up. How could that be? Hmm? How do you think? And then he said, 24 heads. 24 heads popped up. 
20 foreheads popped up so all of them could tread water. I said, that's a good one. Jet, that will preach, I told them. That will preach right there. And so he gave me permission to use it. Um, This is what the mystery is, though, according to Paul. To them, God is, chapter 1, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that Christ comes to live within us, but not just for the religious Jews of the day, but for the Gentiles too. It's for everyone. The mystery is for Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. Paul's message was received well up to this point. If you read in Acts 22, all the Jewish believers, or not, all the Jewish Jews were hearing the message and they were saying, yeah, it sounds great, until Paul had to go and mention the G word, not gospel, not God, but Gentile. Why did you have to go and mention the G word, the Gentiles? God, you know God despises the Gentiles. They're enemies of God. They're sinful, filthy, including those Samaritans, those half-Gentiles and half-Jews. That's what they thought. But Paul said, no, the mystery of God is that God loves all people groups. God loves all nations Christ has come for everyone. We now are God's chosen people as well. Uh, We can think of people who we think God should condemn and God should judge, or people, types of people. We can always, we can all think of people like that. And God says, "Uh, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree there. Uh, The famous preacher G.K. Chesterton wrote a response to a newsletter article that he read. And his response was this, dear sir, Regarding your article entitled, What's Wrong with the World? His response was, I am. Yours truly, J.K. Chesterton. That was his response. He had humility. He realized that he fell short as a famous preacher. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. He said, here there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all who would receive him. In chapter, verse 3, then, he said, So that we proclaim this mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The mystery of Christ is that Jesus came for the lost and the broken The truth is, the church here belongs primarily for the sake of its non-members. It's the only institution on earth that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. Jesus came to seek out the lost sheep and leave the 99 behind. Um, And he does the same today. You want to know how Christ-centered a church is? Uh, Look at how we treat those who don't, don't belong to our family our church Uh, and so therefore he writes in verse 5 therefore be wise in the way you act toward outsiders outsiders are those who don't belong to us outsiders are watching us very closely to see if we're legitimate and to see if we're authentic and they're not looking for people who have their act together who have all the right answers who seem flawless in fact they go if they see people like that They're looking for people who can admit that they have problems, that they have struggles, that they have uh, shortcomings, 
And that's why they need a savior. That's what they're looking for. And they want to see people who are real like that. So you can lay down your smiles. Uh, That's wrong. Lay down the hypocrisy of having to be who you're not in order to impress someone for Christ. No, people want to see us as being real. Uh, Verse 5, make make the most of every opportunity, which means be alert, be alert. It's like when you're going shopping, looking for that bargain, then you find the bargain because you're alert, you're anticipating that God's going to lead you to that bargain. Well, God is going to be, lead you to a God opportunity, a God appointment, when we make the most of every opportunity. Uh, Paul made the most of his opportunity, even sitting in a Roman prison, as he led the prison guards to Christ. He even said uh, in his letter, he said, hey, these people who serve in Caesar's court, they send their greetings to you. In other words, they've come to Christ because they're chained to me. And then also, Paul's witness of being imprisoned, you know, his story was shared around to all the churches, and it emboldened Christians everywhere to live faithfully for Christ through Paul's testimony. Could it be that many believers never experience opportunities like this because we're not looking for them? We're not cognizant of them. We're not anticipating them. You know, God may give us an opportunity right in front of our face as we're waiting in line at Walmart but we're oblivious to it because our minds are going everywhere else and we're trying to check off all our duties for today on our list. God says, be prayerfully looking for these opportunities and I will give you opportunities galore uh, to share the mystery of the gospel. Uh, Prayer awakens us to those opportunities. So one of my favorite writers, Glenn Robinson, uh, wrote about an author and evangelist named Tony Campolo who was, um, he was invited to a small college in Pennsylvania uh, to speak as he often did. And this is what Campolo writes. He says, before chapel service, several of the faculty members uh, took me into the side room to pray with me. Tony, he said, I got down on my hand, knees and six men put, laid their hands on me and began to pray. And the longer these men prayed, the more they leaned on my bald head. Do you feel the spirit whispered? Tony recalls, he definitely felt something pressing on the back of his neck and head. Uh, One of the faculty members kept praying about a man named Charlie Stoltzfus. Oh, Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know he's about to abandon his wife and three children. Send an angel to bring that man back to his family. You know who I'm talking about, Lord? Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives down such and such road, about a mile down the right-hand side of the road in a silver house trailer. Tony Stoltzfus. And Campolo found himself thinking, God knows who this guy is and where he lives. He's not up in heaven saying, "Uh, could you run that address by me one more time? So after the chapel uh, talk, Campolo hopped in his car and he headed home. He was approaching the Pennsylvania Turnpike when he saw a young hitchhiker. And Campolo, as he tells the story, says, I don't recommend this, but I pulled over and I picked up this hitchhiker because I'm a Baptist preacher and I hate to see uh, opportunity pass by with a captive audience. So he opened the door to the car and he said, hey, I'm Tony, I, I'm, um, Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, uh, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. Uh, Campbell said nothing. He turned down uh, at the next exit. He turned around and headed back to the town. And, the, and Charlie said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Well, I'm taking you home. Uh, why? 
because you left your wife and three children, right? Uh, right. So Campolo exited the turnpike. He drove straight down that road, silver trailer, you know, the one on the right-hand side of the road. Mister, how, how in the world did you know that I lived here? And then Campolo said what he's always wanted to say, God told me. <laughs> For the next hour, Tony sat in this silver trailer with Charlie Stoltzfist and his wife. And that was the day they decided that they would stay together. That was the day that they both began to bet that this God was real. Tony Stoltzfist is now serving in his church in a leadership position. And in case you're wondering, man, God never uses me like that. Stuff like that doesn't happen to me. I think when we come face to face with God and he reveals our history on earth, we'll be surprised at how many opportunities God led us up to. If we are to proclaim the message of Christ effectively, we need to give care to the words we use. And this is the last point. Verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, if God has given you um, the tongues of men and angels, according to 1 Corinthians 13, but if you don't have love in your heart, in your message, then you'll sound like a crazy resounding gong or clashing symbol. If you have the gift of prophecy, which means communication, and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, but if you don't have faith, then you're nothing. Our words can speak the truth, but they really reveal the heart condition by how they're shared, the motive behind it. And these words could be spoken or they could be written, like on Facebook. A lot of nastiness can happen on social media too, right? And our words can be like toothpaste. When they come out of the tube and you squeeze too much, you don't shove the toothpaste back in. You can't do that. Sometimes words come out and it's too late. We can't put them back in. So the only thing we do is eat some humble pie, go to the person that we hurt and offended, and apologize, confess our sin. I remember that I had to do that once because a guy dropped me off when I was a senior in high school. In front of my house, I was sitting in his car in the passenger seat, and there I sat, and I was newly dedicated my life to the Lord. So I was trying to convince my non-Christian friend, acquaintance, who, that Jesus was real, and he had all these objections back and forth. And the more he objected, the more frustrated I became, and the louder I became, and more convincing. I just had one thing in mind, that I'm going to convert this guy. He's going to see the truth. He's going to leave, leave his folly behind. And the more I pushed, the um, more he shut down to the point where he was totally shut down. And so I remember feeling pretty frustrated when I closed the door, went in my house, and I conveyed the incident to my brother who was sitting in the living room, and he gave me this verse. He said, hey, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And he asked me, did you do that? I said, uh... And then I felt immediate conviction of the Holy Spirit. I did not. I had the right words. I had the wrong attitude. And I was doing it according, according to my strength and not God's perfect timing. Years later, I encountered the same guy, I think, at our 30th high school reunion. And when I saw him, I thought of this incident. It's funny how your minds work. I don't know if he thought of it. So we had some small talk a little bit and 
he offered me some, you know, to buy me a drink, and I said, no thanks, no. He brought me a drink anyway. I thought it was a Coke. It was more than a Coke. And uh, um, so at, after the night was over, though, my friend um, came up to me after a few hours, and he said, hey, John, I just want to tell you something. And then I'm not going to tell you what he told me, but he gave me one of the highest compliments I ever received um, because he had been watching me through the night just interact with my former classmates. And I just realized, man, God, holy smokes, is that different? Um, and it taught me that God has been faithful to grow me up and, and to give me some wisdom, I guess. And uh, so it was just a high compliment. Well, I tell you the story because my friend, I, I read on Facebook, they'd passed away just a couple years after that unexpectedly. And so I just thank the Lord for that opportunity that I wasn't even looking for. Um, and I thank God that he is a faithful God to continue to grow us and lead us. And so that's my prayer for us this morning as we conclude this service, that God would use us as a church. Let's pray. And so, Lord, um, we want to heed these words that you spoke through your apostle Paul, that uh, we prayerfully uh, come to you and ask you for opportunities uh, to be your witness, to glorify your name. Lord, this is what I desire for this church, and thank you, Lord, for the many faithful people who do this. I pray, Lord, that you only increase our faithfulness, sensitivity, and awareness, Lord, so that we can reach those that, who you loved and for whom you died, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.